0: H.E. News, episode number eight. Happy Halloween and welcome back to Health Empowerment News with Cross Woodruff. Today, trick or treat's? The Addiction to Sugar, and more on the Swine Flu Vaccine. Welcome back to Health Empowerment News with Croft Woodruff. We're here in Vancouver. Happy Halloween, Croft.
1: Yeah, it's trick-or-treat time, except that the treats are the trick.
0: Yeah, I got your email about Abraham Hoffer's sugar addiction theory.
1: Well, it's more than a theory. Uh, It's... uh, it goes back a long time. It's not just a sugar addiction, of course. It's the it's the refining of food for shelf life, and in so doing, they take everything out that will support life. And that's why you rarely, very rarely, find bugs infesting white flour. Certainly not white sugar. There's just no food value there. And of course, for you to utilize the white starch and the white sugar, you've got to have vitamins and minerals and amino acids among other things, essential fatty acids too. We might as well throw that in for good measure. And that's just not there in in the in these so-called treats. The bottom line is this. Uh, the Work was done way back in the late 70s by the uh, University of Alabama School of Oral Medicine where they used medical and dental students as guinea pigs. And they were given sugar in different forms. It could have been in fruit juice, so you're getting the fructose, uh, fructose of orange juice, the sugar of orange juice, or Coca Cola, or Pepsi, or Ginger Ale, or whatever, they used a uh, non-sweetened, or a, I should say, a soda with a, a non, uh, with an artificial sweetener in it. Let's put it that way as the control. And uh, what they found was, and uh, by the way, they also honey was also part of the experiment too. And what they found, that for every teaspoon of sugar, or in the case of honey, honey, or the sugar that you would get in a fruit juice, such as orange juice, your white cell activity would be suppressed by 50%. And when they're talking about white cells, we're talking about particularly the neutrophil phagocytes. These are the white cells that go around, gobbling up, Things that shouldn't be in your bloodstream, whether it's bacteria or fungal spores or whatever. So for every teaspoon consumed, 50% of those neutrophil phagocytes are paralyzed. They, they do nothing. They don't react. Well, I mean, that's like shutting down your army, say, in Afghanistan by 50%, you know, and expect the other 50% to do the job. Furthermore, it doesn't matter. If it's honey, as I pointed out, or fruit juice, or plain white sugar, the only exception was real Canadian maple syrup. And of course, everybody knows maple syrup. It has that dark, dark brown color to
0: it. Loaded with minerals. It's
1: loaded with minerals and and vitamins and and fiber and other factors that, that are essential really for utilizing the sugar itself. So... What we're looking at is uh, sugar is actually an immune suppressor. And what happens is, I said, for every teaspoon consumed, you're, uh, 50% of the white cells are shut down for about five hours. So if you get about eight teaspoons of sugar in a 10-ounce can of soda, you're looking at about something like 40 hours of impaired immune function. So is it any wonder that after a summer of ice cream and pop, uh, then capped off with Halloween's uh, trick and treats, that uh, we are now facing uh, the cold and flu season big time. And they can always pretty well predict that it's coming because these are the precursors to this kind of uh, problem.
0: Well, in the email, Abram Hoffer is saying that sugar is actually more addictive than heroin. That's right. So try and get off the sugar. It's a, it is difficult.
1: It's a very, and it is the most probably the most addicting substance. Today, if uh, the rules of drug addiction had been applied at the time that they started refining sugar into what it is today, uh, it would never have been allowed to happen.
0: Never been allowed on the It market. would have been
1: illegal, yeah. But using the same standards as they use for outlawing uh, heroin, coca, and, uh, and marijuana.
0: Interesting, because we're right in the middle of the swine flu vaccination right now, mm-hmm. where people are lining up to get vaccinated against H1N1. And, of course, here's Halloween, and what you're saying now is that one of the biggest risks to infection is...
1: Excess consumption of white sugar which and is white sugar products.
0: Many children and adults are going to be indulging in Quite a bit over the amounts. next few
1: days uh, after tonight, anyways.
0: Very interesting. Um,
1: and that's why I say the, the tr- trick is in the treat. You know, people don't realize uh, what they're doing to themselves by overindulging. And, uh, and, of course, uh, as one who has a sweet tooth, I know that what it's all about. And, of course, it's interesting that you hear the sugar combine telling us that there's no evidence to show that uh, sugar causes or contributes to tooth decay. I mean, th- this is tobacco science all over again, is really what we're looking at here, when they can make a statement like that. But um, with regard to uh, the flu season as such... Well, what's in the vaccine? We have mercury and we also have squalene. And the trouble is, is that, well, of course, the mercury is used as a preservative. The compound thimerosal that is uh, used, it's about 49% mercury. And unfortunately, it crosses the blood-brain barrier. And so it is uh, a toxin that will uh, actually irritate the brain, uh, the brain cells. Uh, it is actually a neurotoxin, and, uh, and, of course, there is plenty of evidence to show that uh, accumulated mercury in the brain uh, as well as uh, aluminum, which is another element that is found in, in some vaccines, including the uh, HPV vaccine Gardasil to so-called uh, pre- prevent cervical cancer in young women. Uh, you get a real good dose of that. And again, it will get into the brain. And the presence of mercury and or aluminum, one or the other, or both, is quite common with senility and Alzheimer's. In the case of squalene, well, squalene is a natural oil. Yeah, it's found in shark liver, but it's also found in olive oil. And the bottom line is this, is that it's used as as an excitotoxin. It stimulates the immune system, to uh, go and become very active against, unfortunately, not just the the squalene that is in this vaccine from shark oil, but also the squalene that you might have absorbed from eating foods like olive oil, as well as the fact that your own body produces squalene. So your immune system can be turned on against yourself. And uh, so you've really got a big problem there.
0: Is it is it possible, Croft, that if somebody is taking the anything, like let's say they're eating eggs or cheese or something, mm-hmm. and they've got that in their bloodstream now, and they go for their vaccine, could it cause a hyperreaction to something else that maybe and could have caused an allergic reaction to it? Well,
1: I can't answer, answer directly to that. I can only say this: that we already know that they warn people that if they have an allergy to eggs that they are not to uh, accept the flu shot. And, uh, and, of course, the question I have is how many health practitioners that are administering shots ask that question right off the bat? Are people filling out a form uh, before they uh, you know, uh, go in to get their shot? And uh, is the practitioner reading that form to say, ah, you have uh, an allergy to eggs. Uh, I'm sorry, we can't give you the vaccine.
0: You know. um, is that because they're incubated in it? Uh, well,
1: it yes, because- the vaccine, uh, vaccines are incubated in uh, either a chicken or duck egg or, or the embryo of the chicken or duck. And that is where, how they actually, I guess you would say, incubate the, the, the virus. Well, I guess a virus, as it's being incubated and it hasn't been deactivated, it's going to be replicating in uh, this solution and uh, part of its uh, forma- reformation as it replicates is going to be egg protein, mm-hmm. or chicken protein, if you like. If some of that will be incorporated. So you, it's injected into your uh, into your body directly. It's bypassing the digestive tract, which is your body's way of censoring things. And uh, I mean, other than that, the barrier to these bugs are your mucous membranes, the the the, the nasal passages, the esophagus, uh, the whole. Uh, the whole uh, gastrointestinal tract, and uh, even even your eyes. Uh, you know, that's why you secrete tears and you have a certain amount of mucus. And uh, all of this is a barrier to, uh, to any kind of bacteria uh, or possibly viral that, uh, that could uh, make its way into your body. And so when you use a needle and shove something directly into the, the body, you've bypassed all that. And it is a real shock. It's not much different than getting bitten by a poisonous insect or stung by a a, a bee or hornet, bitten by a spider or whatever. Uh, It's the same, same concept. And when you have a reaction to an insect bite or sting, that is an immune response right there. And uh, just depending on what is in that vaccine, it will, I guess, determine to the extent that you're going to have an immune response. Some people will just shake it off and there'll be no reaction at all, maybe slight stinging. Others may actually go into shock and faint. And still others uh, may not manifest anything until a few days or even weeks later. And they suddenly find themselves paralyzed and uh, they can't move and they have to go and they might even have to be on an iron lung.
0: You were on CBC Radio, early edition, uh, about a week ago. Yes. And you were debating Dr. Bowie, I believe. That's his his name, name. yes. And he said that we don't have to worry about the mercury because you'd get more mercury from a tuna fish sandwich.
1: Yeah, well, except you eat tuna fish sandwich. And again, it's uh, the body sensors uh, uh, through the digestive tract, whatever you uh, eat. And there's even your lungs, of course, uh, have... Immune system, IgA, I think it is, or something like that. The long and the short of it is that your lungs also act as a barrier to viruses and bacteria. I mean, that's why you cough and you have phlegm. It's because that's your body's way of throwing these things off out of your nasal and uh, lung passages. And, of course, uh, the mucus is a very powerful and impervious, uh, sticky coating you know, that can res- resist stomach acid. It doesn't get digested. So that, and, of course, the stomach acid itself is a barrier to uh, these things. And uh, so uh, the bottom line is, is that uh, you're going to actually absorb mercury from the shot than you will from uh, eating a tuna fish sandwich. And, of course, my response to the good doctor was, well, we don't inject tuna fish sandwiches into the bloodstream uh, directly. And the, the other thing, of course, is that uh, he's completely ignored the squalene a factor um, other than if oh yeah it's it 's in many things, but the trick is is that when it 's in your body directly like that, it turns your immune system onto to that particular contaminant that 's now in your in your system, and the trouble is is that your immune system will be further turned on to the squalling that you would produce in your own body, and perhaps even uh, the squalling that might be in uh, the olive oil that 's uh, on your salad you might have a potentially an allergy response to that once you've uh, eaten and, and digested and absorbed into the
0: bloodstream. Especially if you're taking these on an annual basis.
1: Well, that's the other thing. This is a, an annual insult that goes on, and, and that's not including the other insults because if you're a young person, uh, uh, depending on what jurisdiction you're in, uh, where vaccines are compulsory, for instance, in the United States, by the time uh, you hit grade one, because you get these shots when you're in kindergarten, uh, you might have about thirty-nine or forty shots, and uh, and a fair number of them can contain reduced amounts of mercury. Some may have no mercury, but all they've done in many cases is just re- reduced reduce the amount of mercury content in the vaccine. So it's the accumulation; it's the, more or less the the death of a thousand cuts that you're faced with. And so uh, a person having gone through all that, and, and they're now uh, in their in their late teens, and maybe they've uh, avoided having vaccinations for, uh, for a number of years for, for whatever reason. Uh, they go back into a university and find they've got to get lined up, and all of a sudden they're in trouble.
0: We talked about Guillain-Barre syndrome. guillain syndrome. G- Guillain-Barre syndrome. Yeah. Uh, we talked about that before. Uh, the doctor on CTV was saying that there's no connection between vaccines and Guillain-Barre syndrome.
1: That's interesting that the uh, person would say that. If you uh, get a hold of the insert that is supposed to accompany each uh, vial of vaccine, uh, listing uh, the ingredients or the major ones, and also the uh, contraindications, uh, such as allergy to egg, perhaps, if it's incubated in egg. Uh, But sometimes these vaccines are incubated in monkey Diseased monkey tissue, African green monkey to be specific, uh, or a dog tissue. Uh, do they tell you about that? But more important than that, one of the p- potential reactions that they admit in the vaccine insert is Gwimbari syndrome. Now, if there is no connection, why would they put that in the vaccine insert? But then also the bottom line is this. If the vaccines are as safe as they claim they are, Why is it that there isn't a vaccine manufacturer anywhere on this planet who can get liability insurance uh, to cover them for damages that would accrue in lawsuits arising out of adverse reaction, including death?
0: Well, it's interesting because the manufacturers in this particular vaccine campaign, they got complete immunity from the government.
1: That's right. I saw that in the paper. It was in the Toronto Sun. And when uh, the Sun reporters went to uh, the uh, Ottawa officials, uh, it was kind of tough luck. You're on your own. So the onus is on the health practitioner, the one who administers the vaccine. So these doctors who have such faith in the vaccines uh, are likely to find themselves on the hook when it comes to liability. Interesting. Of course, they may have an out. Well, uh, you read the instructions, didn't you? you know, uh, that there was this possibility of this, that, or the other thing. So why did you accept the vaccine? You know, the onus is on you, the consumer.
0: Well, patients don't have to sign a waiver or anything like that, do they?
1: I can't recall quite, because I haven't had a shot uh, since I was about 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I had that shot was is because I had gone into uh, the military and uh, I was going through this officer training school, and they lined us all up for these vaccines, and that was the long and the short of it.
0: It was mandatory for your enrollment? Yeah,
1: it was mandatory for the military. And, of course, uh, thereby hangs another tale. The, the problem that the U.S. veterans of the first Gulf War are having with uh, guillain syndrome, and autoimmune diseases of various kinds, uh, lupus erythematosus. We're seeing uh, problems with uh, Lou Gehrig syndrome, ALS.
0: As a result of the vaccines.
1: And it's associated with the squalene that was in the anthrax vaccine.
0: And also, you were mentioning before, people are worried about bird viruses. And if we're worried about bird viruses, why are we incubating, incubating vaccines in Chicken embryos and
1: okay exactly. The fact is, of course, if anybody does a, a study on virology, they would they would understand. They would know that uh, bird viruses normally don't jump to humans. And in fact, the, it is a theory of some of these people that are involved in uh, anthropology, uh, the history of dinosaurs, and uh, the the forerunners uh, uh, to the birds that we see today. They, they theorize that most of these critters were wiped out by, by viruses for which they had no immunity to. An interesting theory. But it is, a, it is known that bird viruses normally don't jump to human. Uh, the viruses that do jump to human very easily are actually swine viruses because the tissue of humans is very similar to that of uh, of swine. Uh, another, another reason why humans can tolerate Pigs' heart valves uh, in their own heart uh, when they've got a faulty or damaged heart valve. Likewise, uh, that uh, insulin-dependent diabetics can tolerate porcine insulin, that is, insulin derived from pigs' pancreas, uh, better than they can say uh, with uh, maybe uh, bovine-derived pancreas uh, insulin, pancreatic insulin simply because some people have an allergy to uh, cow's milk and to, and to beef. And, of course, the other thing is the homolog synthetic uh, insulin. They have somehow managed to corral human insulin-producing cells from the islets of Langerhams, which are part of the pancreas, and combine that with a, uh, a yeast molecule, and they're able to synthesize this humolog insulin uh, using a yeast culture. And people with yeast allergies are in trouble, and uh, they're having a great problem. A lot of people don't respond too well to this humilog, human-based, uh, yeast-based insulin. And there's been a lot written up about that, and you'll find information on the Internet about it. But And, of course, people are frightened who are in this situation that they can't tolerate that form of insulin, uh, that the manufacturers of the bovine as well as the pork-based insulin are shutting down. And, of course, the price, uh, the big promise on, this, uh, on, on the Humalog insulin was that it's going to be real cheap, real cheap. Well, it's a hell of a lot more expensive than the pork-based uh, insulin. So it just shows you the lie that is involved in this sort of, uh, you know, wizardry.
0: Speaking of wizardry, there's this whole, uh, it looks like an advertising campaign to me in the mainstream media for the, the swine flu vaccine. And there were a lot of people that were very hesitant to, to getting it. And then it was reported that two children had died. One of them, otherwise healthy, came down with swine flu and then suddenly died. Well, you know, that created a, a panic and everybody is now lining up to get yeah. the shot.
1: Except for one thing. How was that child that died, how was he treated when they first realized he had a fever? Because just suppressing a fever with aspirin or Tylenol or the Tamiflu is the worst thing you could do in dealing with a fever. There's a reason why we develop fevers. There's a reason why all mammals develop fevers. That is how mammals deal with viral infections. We develop a fever to kill viruses. Viruses cannot replicate at body temperatures in excess of 99 point something or other or 100 degrees Fahrenheit or, uh, what is it, 39 degrees or more Celsius. They cannot replicate. And the reason why is that on the tail end of the RNA or DNA spiral, of the of the viral molecule because basically we're talking a molecular level. Uh there is an enzyme called a telomere that's heat sensitive. And the virus is inactivated, it can't replicate. Once it's insinuated itself into the human cell or or the cell of any organism for that matter, it takes over and it takes part of the DNA of that cell to, uh, you know, aid it in its own replication, and uh, and it uses part of the cell's protein coating to cover itself so that it will re- become immune to the organism's own immune system. Because along comes uh, a white cell that gobbles up a uh, phagocyte, I guess you'd call it, gobbling up uh, bacteria and other things that shouldn't be there, it comes up against this, this uh, now-disguised virus, the, uh, the white cells fooled into thinking that uh, it's one of us, so it's ignored. And the only reason why this can only go so far is the body has a mechanism where it detects that something is wrong, there's just too much of this, and so it goes into fever mode. And, and the result is, is that the, the, the body will go get through the fever. So the old saying, you feed a fever and starve a cold, has great credence. Because for one thing, uh, even the, uh, the ancient uh, people on this planet knew this. Hence their sweat lodges, their propensity for using hot springs and, uh, and saunas in case of the, the people of the northern climes, the Laplanders. And uh, that was their way to help g- get over a fever is to feed it. And of course, I know that in my grandparents' day, or my grandmothers on both sides of family, they knew what to do and I learned this. And I learned it through my own parents. You got a fever, you keep the patient well covered with blankets. Even wool socks on the feet don't hurt. Usually a sock around the throat. A cold pack over the head, uh, over the forehead and at the back of the neck so that you're keeping the brain cool because that's where the blood is going, you know, it's uh, from the main part of the body into the brain. And uh, the result is is that that prevents you from going into convulsions, and uh, and of course it burns out the the virus. And uh, and oh yeah, the other thing is keeping keeping the patient well hydrated, usually with a nourishing broth, you know, chicken broth. So there's more truth than fiction to uh, chicken broth being a or chicken soup being a you know uh, you
0: know. Well, there's a lot of truth to the old wives' tales, I suppose.
1: Well, yeah, there's more truth than fiction to a lot of these things, and. And, of course, uh, when you suppress a fever, that's the worst thing you're going to uh, do. And uh, I I would be willing to bet dollars to donuts that that's what killed that uh, kid in Ontario. Mm -hmm. He's 13 years old, right?
0: Yeah, he was um, a hockey player, healthy.
1: Yeah, and, uh, well, he went into fever mode, and they suppressed it and killed him. Of course, we ought to look at Tamiflu. Right now, through the U.S. courts, at least since uh, the last time I've been able to dig it up, and that was about 2005, there's about at least 24 cases— of a condition called Stevens Johnson syndrome. Uh, there's some other related skin conditions that Tamiflu can bring about, and once uh, and it can cover a hundred percent of the whole body, one hundred percent. That's fatal. You know, that's like having a bad burn. You know, you get an eighty percent, seventy percent, sixty percent burns over the body. You've had it. And uh, I've seen pictures of smallpox cases that. Uh, didn't look as bad as uh, as the Stevens Johnson syndrome, and uh, the bottom line is is that that's what Tamiflu can cause, among other things. Among other things, as well as causing uh, the person to uh, die from uh, the infection,
0: allowing the infection to spread. Yeah, hmm. the statistics from the sw- from the for the swine flu so far, the deaths are you know relatively small compared to other. Other conditions, other diseases. The seasonal flu apparently claims eight thousand people in Canada a year.
1: I, I would even dispute that, really, you know, because uh, could be the, the, the death could be to other causes, but they'll blame it on the flu.
0: Could be pneumonia. Could yeah, be it could could m- be pneumonia. Secondary infection. The infections. old person's
1: friend, they say. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, if, uh, if they're trying to suppress the fever, they'll kill them that way. It's not necessarily, not, ses- ne- not necessarily the flu that killed them but suppressing the fever that uh, put them over the edge. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, of course, uh, with the uh, problem with the, remember the uh, SARS, this uh, super acute respiratory syndrome. Worldwide, there was just under 8,000 uh, cases. And uh, worldwide, there was just slightly under uh, 800 deaths uh, that were attributed. And, of course, how many of those deaths were because the doctor's and nurses didn't know what they were doing in trying to suppress the fever with these uh, antipyretic or anti-fever drugs uh, and, of course, good old Tamiflu.
0: Mm-hmm. Whatever the cause of death, we're looking at a, a huge disparity in the figures here. 8,000 deaths from seasonal flu. Mm-hmm. 81 deaths so far for the swine flu. Yeah. So we're talking about... And we got 1%. about, what,
1: four months to go with flu season?
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: And, of course, uh, to me, what we're looking at is... The pharmaceutical industry, they've had some bad hits in recent years with regard to libel costs, uh, damage uh, from their various drugs. I mean, since 1999, we're, we're looking at um, probably about 12 uh, to 15 different drugs and probably about three or four vaccines that have killed an awful lot of people off or incapacitated them permanently in one way or the other. And they've had to pay out. And It's not billions, but tens of billions of dollars. And it looks to me like this is a very nice way for the um, vaccine. And we're looking at a, one of them is GlaxoSmithKline. Another one is Merck. And uh, we've got Sandoz and, uh, and AstraZeneca. And I mean, I can, I can go on and on. The, uh, these uh, companies have all had to pay out liability costs uh, because uh, and the insurance companies won't pay it they they won't give them insurance for these things and of course uh, this has been quite a hit on their bottom line so governments are now very kind by promoting uh, these vaccines you we've got what 35 million canadians say and uh, they they've ordered enough vaccine for all of us apparently uh, the feds have Uh, well 35 million times and what does it cost for a vaccine shot uh, I think it's, what, it's about $25 maybe or more. $25 times uh, $35 million. You do the math. I'm not so good at it.
0: That's a lot of money.
1: It is a lot of money. It looks to me that we're, we're, we're getting into, uh, in fact, uh, no, it's, it is a heck of a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's one way, that's payback time to replenish their, their bottom line. As it is, the vaccine manufacturers. uh, When you, uh, and that's the really uh, that incorporates the whole drug industry, the big pharma, the top ten of the uh, S and P five hundred. That means they're the top earners. They make in the bank of megabucks, uh, even better than General Motors, uh, or uh, you know the the cell companies and uh, whatever. The top ten are all pharmaceutical companies.
0: Mm-hmm. that's
1: where you put your money if you want to make, make, they make money.
0: They make close to, I don't, I don't know if it's still a valid statistic, but a few years ago, the top 10, which were all pharmaceutical companies, made more than the bottom 490 combined. Mm-hmm. So that's how big they are.
1: Well, you look at a country like the United States where you have 320-odd million people, and they make vaccinations mandatory, as they are just for the school children themselves and for a lot of people who want to get a job, in industry or in the university or whatever, but they make it mandatory for everybody, well, that's $300 million times the, the, the cost of the vaccination. Now, there's the price of the vaccine itself, which might be $25, but the U.S. government, uh, because of uh, the liability that, which they have now assumed for, for vaccine injury, there is, I think it's about a $14 or $15 surcharge for each vaccine, vaccine that is administered, and that's paid by the consumer or else by Uncle Sam himself. So you multiply that by uh, hundreds of millions, and that's uh, yeah, we're talking trillions now.
0: Mm-hmm. So there's big money in it of dollars. The mainstream, that is the mainstream media is promoting it as if it was an infomercial. Get your first yeah. Shot, get your first shot.
1: Well, they're also getting advertising dollars from the big drug companies too, aren't they? And mm. that's one reason why you find them very, very reluctant to have anybody on that would be critical of this whole uh, immunization policy or just uh, critical of drugs, and, uh, if at all. You can recall that not too long ago, Alan Cassells and his counterpart at the University of British Columbia, they were going to be dumped because Big Pharma was putting pressure on the, the provincial government. Big Pharma did not like what uh, these two gentlemen had to say
0: about these drugs. Well, even on CBC, when you were on CBC debating Dr. Bowie, mm-hmm. I listened to the to the rest of the program and when I went to the news, they talked about how there was a debate about the earlier about the pros and cons of having the the vaccine. Mm-hmm. The only segment they played was Doctor Bowie saying how safe it was mm-hmm. at that at that point. That's in the news program. management,
1: you see, and uh, I'm really surprised that CBC would do that because they're always so they they weren't going to have me on if they couldn't find somebody to come on with me, and they finally come up with this Doctor Bowie, and but I'm afraid that Doctor Bowie, uh, uh, I'm <laughs> I i not. I don't think much of him as as a scientist, uh, and and his knowledge of, of of virology. And he's supposed to be an immunologist, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, he's going around won't shake hands with anybody. At least Rick Clough wasn't afraid to give me a handshake. Good solid. He's got fists like a ham and uh, but the bottom line is is that viruses don't survive very well out on uh, open surfaces and that bacteria might but not viruses uh viruses don't like sunshine sunshine destroys them even uh, f- uh full spectrum lighting if there's any ultraviolet uh rays uh in the lighting it will oxidize the the virus and destroy it and of course they don't like heat we already know that and and of course you know, a certain amount of good personal hygiene doesn't help. But one of the big problems with uh, modern man today is that he's too, too sanitary. So that when a bug does come along, and and we can talk about the flesh-eating bacteria, which, by the way, is related to the uh, particular type of virus that ca- hangs around uh, your uh, nasal, uh, you know, the, your mouth and your nasal passages, uh, that's a pretty nasty one if it gets into the skin. And uh, flesh-eating disease is, is well, of course, it's antibiotic-resistant now, so it goes on a, a merry old time. Of course, they never heard about uh, giving an IV of vitamin C to the person that's got that, and and had the doctors known that with regard to uh, the former deputy, to uh, our friend Brian Mulroney, the, the, the French-Canadian who lost his leg to the flesh-eating disease. Can't think of his name right now. But uh, had the doctors uh, known about vitamin C, uh, he may not have needed to lose his leg.
0: hmm Hyperbaric oxygen might have helped for that, too.
1: That's another, an uh, that's antiviral. another antiviral and an antibacterial. Oxygen. Uh, hyperbaric, which, of course, means uh, oxygen under pressure. Uh, ozone, which is uh, just uh, ozone, uh, oxygen with an extra molecule and hydrogen peroxide, which is uh, H2O with an extra molecule of oxygen. So you got H2O2. It's a great antiseptic. And uh, and there are doctors who know these things, and, and they, they will actually take the blood out of the body and run it through an ozonator and put it back into the body. And uh, great stuff. You know, same thing uh, with hyperbaric oxygen, except they're just doing it through the lungs. They can also do it rectally as well. And... Uh, and of course... Also uh,
0: UVB as hmm? well. UVB.
1: Yeah, yeah, ultraviolet B-ray, yeah. Uh,
0: removing the blood and putting it through a UVB. That's
1: right. Uh, There's treatment. a doctor now retired that used to do that in the Fraser Valley. He had a great success with cancer patients using that therapy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One of the less uh, kept, or perhaps we'll say one of the better kept secrets of, uh, of, alter- of uh, alternative uh, medicine or therapy in this province.
0: Mm-hmm. I got a call from a friend of mine who had seen that same CTV segment where they were going over the, the statistics, mm-hmm. and he was he was angry. He said, what's the big deal about the swine flu if, if, uh, if there's 8,000 deaths from the seasonal flu, mm-hmm. and there's only 81 deaths so far from the swine flu? And they went through the, the statistics. They listed the likelihood of, of mm-hmm. death, and they basically said that you're just as likely to die from a car accident as from the swine flu.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, it's just like they don't have a vaccine yet for hepatitis C. And hepatitis C uh, used to be referred to as serum hepatitis. This is a form of hepatitis that you get from uh, contaminated blood. Never mind hepatitis B, which, of course, is another, uh, you know, blood can be another source of that particular uh, viral entity. Way back in the early 70s, 1974, there were doctors in uh, the Osaka region of Japan in two hospitals that wiped out serum hepatitis, that is hepatitis C, just by giving patients who were slated for major surgery and very likely blood transfusions, they were giving them something like 6,000 milligrams of vitamin C for several days prior to and for a couple of weeks after the surgery and the, and the blood transfusion if they needed it. They had found that um, by investigating the dietary habits of uh, these patients who were having major surgery and going through uh, blood transfusion as a result, only 15% of, of out of 100 were coming down with hepatitis C. And they investigated their diet and found that those who didn't come down with hepatitis C after contaminated blood transfusion, it was because they were taking lots of vitamin C in their diet and their choice of food as well as supplementation. And that's why they turned around and said, okay, you're slated for major surgery and unlikely you'll have to have a blood transfusion. This is what you have to do. You take the vitamin C in these amounts before and after. They eliminated 100%. Just vitamin C as a supplement. And we know this, that vitamin C as an IV does the same thing, even more so. I've seen people snatched away from death by an IV of vitamin C by medical doctors right in this province. But, oh, no, that's not proven, says the College of Physicians and Surgeons. We're going to take away your license for doing that. Take away a doctor's license for saving a patient's life when the other doctors refuse to uh, use that protocol and would rely on, on something like, uh, well, who knows what, some highly toxic drug.
0: No, there's, there's a lot more profit in that than vitamin C.
1: Well, it's just like uh, the cancer treatment, uh, Herbitux, it costs about something like uh, a little over $1,200 a, a week for the therapy. And after 12 months, the tumors have shrunk or disappeared, but the patient's dead.
0: Well, that's a successful treatment.
1: Yeah, well, they'll put it down as a success. In fact, there were some provincial governments that were reluctant to take it on. But you had the clack out there, uh, no doubt supported by Big Pharma. Oh, we've got to have Herbitex, we've got to have Herbitex. And so uh, the suckers in the, in the bureaucracy and the politicians buy into it. Somebody gets up in the legislature or parliament fulminating against uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the health department for, for not approving, uh, you know, uh, Herbitux as a, as a treatment for cancer.
0: It's interesting because you hear all sorts Taxpayers
1: of... Taxpayers' money, you know.
0: You hear all sorts of little blurbs that come out on the uh, news bites that come out on the news saying that this has been found to be effective against cancer this has been found to be effective against mm-hmm. cancer but then you never hear about it we hear about curcumin on. which comes in turmeric mm-hmm. the latest one i heard was an enzyme from the venom of an african tick and mm-hmm. they've been able to isolate the the enzyme and reproduce it mm-hmm. and, and it eats the
1: cancer it sure. doesn't
0: kill healthy cells but mm-hmm. it kills cancer cells mm-hmm. so you know these things you hear about, but then they kind of disappear they well they
1: 've got a patent they 've got to get a patent right to it, and that might be difficult and and then they 've got to go through all the hoops of uh, different tests and uh, and usually the the tests uh, the costs of the tests are not worth the investment, and so they don 't bother it just dies out that 's why they won 't do double blind studies on on things like laiatrill for instance carbiacin uh, the uh, and there was another uh, formula by Dr. Andrew Ivey, who is a, uh, I think that's the name, he was a, a respected professor of medicine at the University of, uh, of Illinois, and uh, they railroaded him, you know, and uh, he just died a couple of years ago, I'm sure a very embittered man, because he had something that actually worked. I mean, why would he put his career on the line if he didn't feel, and genuinely feel that he had something that was worth investigating and using? hmm you know, that's the whole problem with, the, with our system. Our definition uh, of, of insanity for, the, for this society is totally insane. You know, I mean, something as simple as vitamin C can kill viruses. And if anybody wants to immunis- immunize themselves against the flu, aside from cutting down on the, the, the tricks that they're going to get uh, from the treats tonight... Uh, they are cutting down on the treats that they'll be tricked into getting tonight uh, or giving, they should be taking vitamin C in fairly large amounts, actually. But, of course, I'm now practicing medicine without a license. But uh, vitamin C is is an essential nutrient, and we don't get enough of it in a standard North American diet. We have to supplement. It would be nice if they would uh, fortify all these uh, foods with lots of vitamin C. That would be something. And uh, vitamin C is cheap. You know, you c- you can go to a pharmacy and, uh, like Crips, for instance, and get a kilogram of vitamin C. That's two point two pounds of vitamin C, as pure ascorbic acid, for about forty dollars. If you don't like the acid, you can get it as a salt of sodium, sodium ascorbate, or calcium ascorbate for a few dollars more by the kilogram, and uh, very easy to take. You can. Uh, you know, put a quarter of a teaspoon is about two grams. So you can put it into coffee or juice, or, or or drinking water. You can mix it into your salad dressing and put it over your salad. There's all kinds of things you can do with vitamin C.
0: Vitamin D as well for, for the uh,
1: sunshine vitamin. Well, it's antiviral. We know that mm-hmm. the sunshine itself is antiviral but apparently so is the vitamin D. And uh, there are studies afoot that seem to indicate that vitamin D boosts our immune system against bacterial and viral infection. And uh, there is a a body of evidence that would suggest that it also protects us against certain kinds of cancers. Now, uh, I notice that there are arguments out there to the contrary, but certainly we know this, that in a 20-minute period with uh, full-body exposure, to uh, the uh, morning sun, you, the, you can produce about the equivalent of 20,000 international units of vitamin D uh, on the the skin, which is absorbed into the deeper tissues and the body takes it up through the bloodstream and it gets processed in the kidneys and the liver, I presume, and maybe in other organisms I don't know about. But the bottom line is, is that 20,000 international units, you may not use all that, and I'm sure a lot of it just, just uh, de- deteriorates and dissipates but obviously, whatever the body can make would suggest that maybe we need a good portion of that. And there are there are time trans studies show that show geographically, as you move further north, the more susceptible you are to uh, uh, to uh, the multiple sclerosis. Oh, by the way, we mentioned the squalene; it's associated with amyotrophic uh, lateral sclerosis (ALS), Lou Gehrig syndrome. Uh, there is some evidence that uh, vitamin D deficiency may have a bearing on, on that condition among some susceptible people.
0: Interesting. So we're, we're pretty much out of time. For the people who are confused right now, and there's a lot of them that are confused about whether or not to get vaccinated with the H1N1, what would be your strongest argument against getting vaccinated?
1: Well, the fact that they're lying about uh, the mercury and, uh, and the squalene. Uh, the fact that if uh, you accept the vaccine and run into uh, difficulties with your health or worse, uh, you have no recourse to sue the manufacturer. They don't have any liability insurance, and they got deeper pockets than what you have to fight a court case. And, uh, and the federal government says, well, you're on your own, so the onus will be on the, the health protect- practitioner. I would say, well, to the health protection, well, are you prepared to sign an affidavit that in the event I should have an adverse reaction to this vaccine uh, uh, from uh, very serious to perhaps death that you will uh, you will be liable and uh, and be responsible for uh, uh, the uh, you know the, the dissolution of my estate and and uh, taking care of my heirs and and uh, you will sign a paper to that effect uh, in view of the fact that the the government won't assume liability nor will uh, The vaccine manufacturers, nor will any insurance company, so uh, there it is. They won't sign it, so if they won't take a chance, why should you? That's number one. And of course, we already mentioned the mercury and the squalene uh, uh, in the vaccine, but there are other things that we have to talk about, and that is the, the lack of scientific
0: evidence that the vaccines even work. And for people who decide not to, what can you recommend them to do to keep the Well, immune system again, strong? Uh,
1: stay away from refined food and refined sugars. Eat lots of whole foods, uh, lots of fresh uh, vegetables and salads and greens, anything with high amounts of, uh, of vitamins and minerals in it. They should drink lots of water, and they should cut sugar out of the diet totally for the next couple of weeks, and if they incorporate back in the diet in very modern months, and watch out for Christmas and New Year's, because that's another time when people really pack in the candy and the sugar and the refined food. And, uh, and there it is, and it goes on and on. You know? And then Easter is the next time around. And, you know, and of course, if there are any other religious holidays where they bring out the sweets, uh, you're just uh, you know, building up uh, your body to be recept- receptive to uh, infection and breakdown. Body can only handle so much of this stuff.
0: Well, there we, there you heard it. No sugar, whole foods, vitamins,
1: vitamin fortification, minerals. And by the way, when it comes to buying a vitamin supplement, especially a multiple vitamin, forget about these ones that say 1.2 or three milligrams of uh, of B1, B2, or B3, uh, and the other B vitamins. Uh, B12 will be in micrograms and uh, Biotin will be in micrograms, and folic acid, if you're lucky, might be one milligram. But if uh, if the biotin, if rather, rather more important, if the if the folic acid is less than one milligram, forget it. If the B vitamins are less than twenty five milligrams, exceptions being B12 and biotin, which will be in micrograms, and of course the uh, the folic acid will be in one milligram, then you're wasting your money. You want to get a, a, a multiple vitamin that is very potent in the B vitamins because that is where it's at, as well as taking extra vitamin C because the 100 to 250 milligrams you might be lucky enough to find in a multiple vitamin mineral. As far as I'm concerned, it's just just skirting the surfaces of immunology. You want to take 500 milligrams to 1,000 milligrams and maybe several times a day. If you are allergic to vitamin C, If you take too much, the worst thing that can happen is it will have a laxative effect. And as Linus Pauling once said when he was criticized for taking 18 grams of vitamin C a day, he was doing it in divided doses throughout the day. Who wants to keep that mess inside you?
0: And that wraps it up for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you have anything to say in regards to this episode, please go to www.foodsarenotdrugs.com. And you can leave a comment in the comment field for this episode. If you have any suggestions or ideas that you would like us to do in future episodes, please email me at andrew at foods or not drugs dot com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. And that's it for this week. We'll see you again soon. there we are.